the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This week, we're looking at Philippians chapter 2 and how Jesus lays his reputation or his glory aside to become a humble servant. That's next on Way of Grace. been said that Jesus was as much God as if he were not man, but yet as much man as if he were not God. He wasn't half and half, he was whole and whole. And there is a significance there that we want to focus in on today on Way of Grace with Pastor Jesse Gastan from Grace Bible Church in Hayward. We welcome you to our broadcast. We're back in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, many other passages to look at, but Today, we're returning our attention to this idea that Jesus was a real man, and the significance of that will soon be made clear. Here's Pastor Jesse with today's broadcast, Boy of Grace. We are all emotional creatures. I'm going to help you for a moment. You don't start from your thinking because there ain't nothing in your thinking. You're empty-headed. You, just, you start from your feeling. You start from your passions. You start from presuppositions, and they formulate thoughts. When you lay up at night or you are, are, are engaging in, in cogitation, they come from predilections. They come from bits. They come from desires. Is that true? And the next thing you know, why am I thinking this way? Well, there is a prerequisite cause causing you to think that way. And when you become a child of God, the prerequisite fire driving your thoughts is your desire to know God. Oh, that I might know him in the power of his resurrection, being made conformable by his death, a partaker of the humility that we're talking about, so that I might know something of that resurrection life to come. That will formulate and drive your thoughts. If that fire is not there, you are held to skelter all over the map. One day you're passionate about this. The next day you're passionate about that. The next day you're over here, you're over there. You don't have one singular passion. And the believer is called to one love, one love, one love. And that's the love of God in Christ Jesus. It should frame everything we do. Every business decision, every secular decision, every, every extra curriculum you engage in, it should be modified by how does this please the God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you understand that? Otherwise, we could never, ever do ministry because everybody's passions are all over the place. We wouldn't be able to find a unified effort by which we serve to express the glory of God in the gospel in a local church if we weren't all operating from the same axes. Are you operating from the axes centered in the person of Christ? That's what Paul is saying. Now, here's what he does. He says, based upon this, verse 3, watch this. He says, let nothing be done through what? Strife or vainglory. 
Don't ever be driven to do something out of an internal contention of jealousy with somebody else. Don't ever be compelled to do something out of the really fruitless objective of personal glory. The fruitless objective of personal glory. Now, Paul had already talked about that earlier. Some preach Christ out of strife and contention. He said to the church of Philippi, don't you do it. Philippi, don't you. There is an evil fire that can be stirred in us that can drive us to do things. You will find a lot of people who become successful, but the motive is evil. They're driven to make a name for themselves. And what God says is you and I don't exist on this earth for you and I to make a name for ourselves. See, this getting into the doctrine, this is so counterintuitive. This is going to challenge you because, yes, you and I are called to live in this world. We're called to work. We're called to labor. We're called to be fruitful and productive. Is that right? But that set of principles never, ever is to be driven by the goal of being self-serving or self-exalting. And that's exactly what Paul is a warning against. But in lowliness of mind, do you see that phrase, lowliness of mind? Now, you guys remember when we opened up on the subject of uh, humility. And I said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Well, you ain't the first thing you think about every time you start thinking. I know that's bad language, too. But see, as a believer, it cannot be, it just cannot be mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest one of them all? That question was answered when you got saved. He's fairer than 10,000. He's more wonderful than anyone in the universe. Jesus, the lover of my soul. We already got the answer to fair and it's not me. Are y'all following what I'm saying? So you do understand that where we're going in terms of what we're about to observe is challenging for us because our nature really does grasp to be at the center of attention. That's why in our elder's prayer, he said that we need help because we wake up every day putting God on the back seat. We need help. We need help. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. That latter line was our theme two years ago, a year ago, when we, when we taught on honor. What does it mean to honor somebody? To lift them up, to put them on a pedestal, to put weight on them, glory on them. That's, that's, that's our card of the Old Testament, to lather them, to layer them with honor and respect and preference and let people know how important they are to you. That's what it means to honor someone or prefer someone above yourself. Ask yourself the question, when was the last time I woke up looking for the specific purpose of preferring somebody else beside myself? Right? Because it's so alien to our nature. And yet this is the gospel ethic that God is calling us to. And may I say this as I get ready to go into our text? You're going to miss, that's him speaking all by himself, isn't he? All by him. I, I'm always amazed when one person speaks for 400 people. Take your time, preacher. But see, I've been knowing him for like 25 years. What our text is teaching us to do is so counterintuitive that we have to really ask ourselves, am I connected to the man that we're about to talk about? Because if I'm not connected to him, I'm not going to actually be able to identify with what I hear about him. 
I'm going to hear it, but it's going to be like water on, off a duck's back. It's going to make no emotional, no spiritual, no psychological, no physiological, no practical implication in my life whatsoever. But we're going to try. Can we do that? We're going to try with this. And so he says, esteem others better than yourself. Verse four, verse four, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. There it is. He clamps it down by saying, wake up and consider where your brother is, where your sister is, where people are. Really, these are the instructions that only make sense to a person who is ready to serve. The big word that we're dealing with in the kenosis doctrine and the illustration of Jesus is the word service. And it can be framed in the noun form of being a servant. That's what we're about to deal with. A servant. That's why he says in the next verse, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Do you see it? Let this whole line of instructions be in you as it was in Christ. Christ was all those things, was he not? He was all those things. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So we have now 10 instructions, and then Paul moves seamlessly into an illustration of which we learned, moving to verse 6, that though he existed as God. Do you guys see that in verse 6? Though he existed as God. That means what Paul is doing now is reaching into eternity and giving us a visible uh, concept of Jesus Christ as being God. Though he existed in the form of God, in the substance of God, with the qualities of God, we talked about that essence and nature. He was very God of very God. He comes from eternity. He goes into eternity. Christ has no beginning point. He has no ending point in terms of his divine nature. Do you agree with that? And we affirmed that last week with several passages, did we not? I will not waste the time to go any further into them. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And there was not anything that was made that the Word didn't make. That means the Word made time. And if it made time, it had to be before time. And so here now we are dealing with Christ having a very clear consciousness of who he is. He knows he's God. He knows he bears the attributes of God. He knows he has equality with the Father and the Spirit. He knows that. I and the Father are what? Right. And the Jews sought to kill him several times for this inference, right? Because he makes himself what? Equal to God. They knew what he was saying. And I told you last week. If a person has the qualities of sonship, that is being a son of God, it means he himself is God. Like, I have two sons, David and Nathaniel. By nature, in their essence, in their substance, we bear all the same qualities equally, do we not? We have a same, our same DNA package. Everything is consistent with the equality of our human makeup. However, subsistently, I'm their father. They're not mine. Subsistently, they're my sons. Equal in nature, distinct in person. Y'all got that? That's the doctrine of the Father and the doctrine of the Son. He is very God of very God, and the Father creates all things through him. He upholds all things by the word of his power. Everything is held together by Jesus Christ. Is that what the word of God says? 
and get with that security in terms of who he is. You know what verse seven says? He made himself of no reputation. That's the first note you want to write down. He intentionally, this is a verb form. He intentionally, intentionally made himself of no reputation. Divine reputation, eternal, omniscient, omnipotent, everywhere present, immutable, unchangeable, glorious. That's reputation. He veiled all that. He veiled his right to let the creature that he has now entered into their world see him in the splendor of his reputation as God. In fact, that aspect of his being, once he moved towards the climax of his life, do you guys remember what he said in John 17, 5? Father, restore unto me the glory that I had with you before the world began. John 17, 5. Do y'all see it? John 17. You know what that means? He had just about finished his work and he was ready to go home ready to go home, ready to be repositioned in that bliss and felicity that I talked about earlier, to be with the Father and with the Holy Ghost, ready to be there. He had emptied himself. He had veiled his glory. Me and my wife were, uh, and Al and Gwen were uh, in the Mediterranean a couple, two, three weeks ago. You guys know that. And we were on a little island called Monaco. You guys know what Monaco is? So those of you who travel, that's the place where they have the Monte Carlo, that famous uh, casino. With James Bond, Bond, James Bond. <laughs> the, and, and there's an event that happens, uh, I think, every year uh, uh, in that area. Do you know what it's called? The Indy 500, the racing. Now, there are certain specific kind of cars in the world that are different than any other kind of car in the world. And we had a chance to kind of uh, pass by several of the car dealerships and look at your uh, Ferraris. Y'all know what a Ferrari is? Uh, we looked at Maseratis. Anybody know what a Maserati is? Uh, and we looked at some Lamborghinis. I, I was thinking about buying some, but I realized I, just, I was just a little short of my money. But I, I was looking out. I was going to drive it home. I'll meet y'all back at the house. There's a glory in the Lamborghini, Maserati, and Ferrari that is unique to them alone. That when you look at all other cars, you might mistake one car for another. But when you run up on a Maserati, you can't mistake it. When you look at a Lamborghini, you can't mistake it. When you look at a Ferrari, especially the newer ones, you can't mistake it. They have a unique glory distinct from every other car. God is distinct from every other creature. He has a unique glory that you cannot miss. Are you guys hearing what I'm saying? I'm using a crude analogy. I'm going from the greater to the lesser, but I'm trying to draw you in. I'm trying to draw you in. I'm trying to draw you in. Now, there's a way you can cause that glory to be diminished or cause that glory to be obscured. All you got to do is come with a big old dump truck full of mud and pour it over the top of that Lamborghini. And once you pour it over the top, the glory is obscured. And that's what Christ did when he took on a human nature. He covered his glory with the dust and mud of humanity. Anybody got that? He covered his glory. He didn't diminish his glory. He didn't set aside his glory. He didn't lose his glory. He veiled his glory. And as he walked this earth, every now and then he allowed the headlights to pop up. Boom. 
The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. And every day, now and then, he popped up both headlights, right, and cut the engine on, and he allowed the disciples to see a, a smidgen of his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration, did he not? And they knew they was dealing with a Maserati, right? They knew. This is what we're saying. In his security as God and in his love for sinners, Christ condescended with an infinite condescension that is incomparable. You will never, ever be in a situation where you would have to ever give up so much. Do you hear what I'm saying? That's exactly where we are in the thought of, going back to our text, in the thought of he made himself of no reputation. I want you to mark, that is what we call an active verb form. That means he did that. Nobody did that for him. He did that. That means he was volitional. Volitional in the security, he could cover his glory. Now, all of us want some glory. But he was able to enter into his world that he made and sufficiently cover his glory so that no one knew him as God except those to whom he had revealed. Are y'all following me? Even today, it is questioned whether or not Jesus is God. But I'm going to tell you, if you bumped up against that Ferrari, you know he's God. If you ever heard the engine turn over, and I worked on them, if you ever saw the lights come on, you know the difference between a fake God and the true God. He made it clear, didn't he? Never a man spake like this before. He opened the eyes of the blind. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He walked on the water. He stopped the water, did he not? Man, that's God to me. Corresponding with all the Old Testament uh, uh, attributes and predications of what it means to be God uniquely. He made himself of no reputation, but took upon him the form of a servant. Here, if we are dealing with an exposition, two things. He actually engaged in two active verbs. He made himself of no reputation. Then he took on the form of a what? Now, this is the great contrast. He veiled his infinite glory by taking on the status, the attributes, the characteristics of a servant. And I told you last week, this is remarkable because it does not say he first took on a human nature, but rather he took on the status of a servant. And I just want to bump on that for a moment to help you understand that in him humbling himself from the reputation of his godhood, to taking on the status of servanthood was for him to instruct you and I as to really what it means to walk in our manhood. Let me say it again. From his godhood to his servanthood is for God to teach us what it really means to execute full enjoyment in our manhood, i.e. man and woman. May I say it? You will ever never know full human joy until you learn what it means to serve. Until your life is given to service, your humanity will be hollow. Your humanness will be weak. You will live with levels of deficiency and want that can only be filled up and, 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 and actually satisfied by being a servant. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So what our Lord Jesus did in moving into the servant status is something that is uh, uh, thoroughly developed in the scriptures. And I just want you to see them a little bit, if you will, under point number three. This is where we took up last time three fundamental uh, uh, sub points. 
You get them quickly. He took on the form of a servant. That is the qualities of subjection and submission and service. Is that right? Subjection, submission and service. Subpoint B, the role of subordination to a greater purpose than oneself. And then subpoint C, to serve his father and to do what? Save his people. Please understand that. When I worked through this text, I said, why, why servant before human? And you know what I discovered is that you really can't separate the two. That when you go back to the Genesis narrative, Genesis 2, 7, and it says, and God created man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. That God created a man to be a servant. That when he created Adam, he had already prepared for Adam a job. Hint, hint. He had already had a garden. He had already had a place of occupation and work. Adam was going to be God's servant. And as soon as Adam became conscious by the spirit of God of who he was, you know what God began to do? Tell him what he needs to be doing. I want you to kill and keep and guard and protect this garden. This would be the sphere of our fellowship. You and I will have eternal fellowship in the realm of service. What are we learning? That every human being is called to serve. That in service is your dignity. In service is your imago day, if you will. And how can we argue this? When Christ is the one who came to serve and not be served. Am I making some sense? And so when you and I think about servant, understand that the idea of becoming a servant is not to distinguish himself so much from, uh, from being a human being, but rather to define his humanity by his service. Define your humanity by your service. When people look at you and hear about what you do and watch your life, Your humanity is being defined by what you do. If you and I are selfish, if we are lazy, if we're narcissistic, if we're given to taking and not giving, that's a blight on our humanity, is it not? If you and I are loving, thoughtful, given to helping people, engaged in the kind of work that says it is more blessed to give than to receive, then our humanity now is defined by our actions. Am I making some sense? Not only then is the witness to the world that you have a proper grip on why God made you, but you're going to be more satisfied from within as well. A good man or a good woman is satisfied from themselves, as the proverb says. I meet way too many people who are not happy. I have to deal with way too many people who are not happy. And it is inevitably found in the fact that they are not operating in purpose. They're not clear on the gifts that God gave them in terms of the mind and the heart and the passion and the predilections, the gifts of being able to do things. I know a lot of people, even among us, who are passionate but are kind of stuck. Does that make some sense? You want to do, you want to be, you want to express, you want to develop, you want to mature, you want to manifest, you want to manifest, but you don't know how to break out of those inhibitions. You don't know how to break out of those traps. You don't know how to actually flourish. I'm speaking to somebody. But it won't be by becoming narcissistic. 
It won't be by self-indulgence. It won't be going into a cave and, and medicating. It won't be by you trapping yourself by all kinds of pseudo-gods who will tell you you're all right when you're not. That's a problem. Am I making some sense? And so when we think through the concept of servant status, we are really thinking a subject-object relationship. What I said last week, that when you follow the lines of verses 6 all the way through verse 11, and I'll unpack that more fully next week, what you're dealing with is a collaboration between three persons. The central person we're hearing about is Jesus. But behind the scenes is an activity of God the Father and God the Holy Ghost assisting Jesus in accomplishing his redemptive purpose. Such a wonderful time here in God's Word. It's our hope and prayer that you're growing in grace as you take the time to study God's Word with us. We thank you for joining us. This is Way of Grace, the ministry of Grace Bible Church in Hayward. We would leave you with an invitation. If you enjoyed the time you've had with us today studying God's Word, please consider this a formal invitation to join us in person. Sunday services at Grace Bible Church in Hayward are at 11 a.m. Sunday schools at 10. And then, of course, the Friday Bible study. We've got a lot of folks from all over and from a variety of churches joining us Friday evenings at 8 p.m. for this Bible study. You're invited to either one. We're located at 20450 Royal Avenue. That's here in Hayward. And the zip code is 94541. You can also get directions at our website, grace-bible.com. Again, that's grace-bible.com. Or simply call for directions, 510-886-9782. That's 510-886-9782. As always, we have CDs available. You can download the messages off our website or call us and order a CD of today's broadcast or any program that you have heard here on Way of Grace. We'd be more than happy to get one out to you. You can call us at 510-886-9782 or stop by our website, grace-bible.com. We do thank you for spending time with us today. Trust we'll see you next time we get together for another broadcast of Way of Grace with Pastor Jesse Gastan. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.